Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today, we've got a great episode with NWTF Grand National Turkey Calling Champion, Scott Ellis. He's won several titles, and uh, he's a phenomenal turkey hunter and turkey caller, and I'm excited to have him on the podcast today. Before that, I would like to cover a couple things. First of all, I'd like to thank you guys for your continuous support of this podcast and all of the emails that I get in in support and all the Facebook messages and Instagram messages. I just want to thank you guys uh, sincerely for all of this uh, great support. You can send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can follow along on our website, jscottoutdoors.com. You can follow on Instagram at jscottoutdoors, my associate Dar Colburn, uh, at Dar Colburn on Instagram, our Facebook page, uh, J. Scott, uh, and uh, Dar Colburn's personal Facebook page. And uh, we also have a YouTube channel that does, uh, you know, subscribers are building every day. And uh, we're just about to embark on turkey season. We've got a lot of great hunts coming up this spring. And hopefully we're going to be showing those all to you on our YouTube channel. And I just want to thank all of you that have gone on and subscribed to our YouTube channel. I also want to thank you for uh, going on iTunes and giving us a, a good review, a uh, five-star review, and leaving some great positive comments. We had an awesome Resurrection Sunday yesterday, and I got to enjoy a beautiful day here in Arizona with my nephew, uh, Jay, and his fiance Shannon. My wife and I, we went to uh, church service and then we had lunch with my nephew and, and Shannon and it was just an awesome day. And I want to uh, tell you guys about a verse that uh, really resonated with me yesterday and that's John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think John 14, 6 is just a really great verse that simplifies salvation, and I want to thank Jesus for saving us. Guys, Gohan Insider has released their draw odds, and being in the industry for so long, I can honestly say they are the only odds that you can bank your decisions on. Gohan Insider really has changed the hunting research industry, and their draw odds have set them apart even more. The Nevada odds were actually just released, and finally the industry has seen the first true odds for that state. Nevada is tr a tricky state to get the real odds, but Go Hunt took the time and, and found the right information it took to get true odds. With Nevada online application open until 11 p.m. on the 18th of April, I would recommend getting an insider account to get the most out of your five choices in that state. As an exclusive offer to my listeners, if you sign up for a Go Hunt Insider membership for $149 a year and use the promo code JSCOTT at checkout, you will receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Head on over to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and get yourself the most valuable membership a hunter could have. Now on with the show with Scott Ellis. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have three-time Grand National Champion turkey caller Scott Ellis on the line. Scott, how you doing? Hey, Jay. I'm doing great. Recovering from the convention crud, as they so eloquently named it. <laughs> 
catching the catching the flu bug while I was in Nashville a week and a half ago, and uh, got a turkey hunt this weekend, so I'm on antibiotics, and hopefully it'll uh, it'll clear on up for the weekend for my little boy Jake. We're going on a hunt this weekend, so that's awesome. I know I didn't make it to the NWTF convention this year. I had a Western Hunting Expo out here in Salt Lake that I went to. Uh, but I sure missed it. I was uh, checking everything out through Facebook and Instagram and trying to stay in touch with it. And it looks like you uh, defended your head-to-head title. So you're a two-in-a-row two uh, head-to-head uh, turkey calling cha- grand national champion there, which to me, the head-to-head is an unbelievable feat. And to do it back-to-back um, you know, and repeat, uh, because, as you know, it's a grind, and maybe you can fill the listeners in a little bit on the rigorous um, schedule that, that the head-to-head involves. Um, w- tell the listeners exactly what the head-to-head competition involves. Well, the head-to-head pits caller one against caller two, and you go to you go, and again a head-to-head format, meaning caller one does a plain yelp, caller two does a plain yelp, and then the judges vote. Caller two, one does the excited yelp, and then caller two does the excited yelp, and the judges vote to see the winner is. Then the third call will be the fly down cackle. Caller one, caller two, they vote, and then the majority wins. The the guy with the majority of the votes wins. And um, the last two years, it's been a single elimination for the first two rounds of the four rounds. So um, it could, or eight rounds, I'm sorry. So if you don't make it through those first two rounds, and you take a loss, you're out. So you got to get through the first two rounds to get into the uh, to the uh, the double elimination section of the of the uh, tournament. So it's uh, it makes it even harder now because you've got one shot and you're out. It used to be uh, when I won in 13, it was a, the whole contest was double elimination, and uh, it just took hours and hours and hours. It was even more of a grind then than it is now. So Chris Pilts at the NWTF shortened it by adding those first two rounds being single single elimination. So. And with the single elimination, I mean, you could literally have, you know, the top three or four callers in the country and maybe, you know, everybody that makes it's fantastic. But, you know, maybe someone that's down towards the bottom, they have a great run. And let's say one of the best callers in the country, you know, their call sticks or they have, you know, I mean, they can get knocked out quick. And oh, yeah. so to be able to defend two years in a row, I think, speaks volumes for your calling. How do you feel that you called this year compared to last year, um, you know, with with all your stuff that you were throwing at them? Well, thank you very much, first off. So I appreciate it, Jay. Um, I, uh, it's a nonstop evolution of uh, turkey vocabulary. You know what I mean? It's you, if you don't improve and constantly tweak and make it better and more turkey, then you will not stay in that group of three, four, five guys that are on top of the game right now, winning everywhere they go, placing everywhere they go at a national level and a local level. So as far as how I call comparatively, um, just I tweaked a few things on my Yelp. I tweaked a few things on my Kiki. Didn't reinvent the wheel, but just worked a lot on polish and presentation and call control. That's half the battle of, of putting together this turkey music, if you will, that we put up on the stage. And uh, when you have that masterful control, it shows. And when you have that great turkey tone and rhythm built in with the, with the masterful control, then you are usually going to fare pretty well in a calling contest. So, 
Scott, I know you've been calling in contests for a long time, and one of the questions that I always wonder is, guys like yourself, do, do, do your nerves, does it get any easier, or do you still get real nervous uh, up there calling on the stage of the Grand Nationals? Um, it's one of those deals, Jay, where the more you do it, the more you learn to embrace the nervousness. Um, and I remember as a younger caller, 15, 18, 20 years ago, you'd get on the stage and make a clean run and you'd be on it and off it. I would be on it and off it as fast as I could with a clean run and felt like I just barely survived. Like if I walked out, walking off the stage alive seemed to be a huge accomplishment <laughs> because yeah. you were so nervous. Your heart was beating so fast. The adrenaline was rushing so hard. You made a clean run. You thought you did things right. It was completely rushed, but you made it off the stage alive. <laughs> and, and that made you feel like you really accomplished something. And then as the years go by and you learn to embrace it, the more you do it, you travel around, you call as much as you can call, you record yourself as much as you can. But that's that's the only way of putting a little bit of pressure on yourself to help with the nerves is knowing that you're recording something that you play you play back. You want to make sure it's right. So um, and then, and like I said before, you just have to call a lot. And, and then as you start to do well, if you end up doing well on the stage, you learn to start embracing those nerves and then you learn, you start getting confidence and then you get more confidence. And then ultimately what happens is you get to a level, if you reach the upper elite levels, you truly have mastered the mouth call to a point where the nerves aren't going to matter. It's like any professional athlete, similar, similar to any professional athlete. When you're under pressure, the fact that you've done it over and over and over again will prevail. And the fact that you can control it because you've done it over and over and over again in front of crowds, in front of judges, you know, at, and at national levels, you learn to uh, harness that energy and you you've mastered the call. You have you are running the call. The call is not running you. It's like it's like an it's like playing an instrument. Um, I would compare it to a guy, especially at the Grand Nationals, when you have fifteen hundred people in there watching you, they're there to see you call. So embrace that, you know. Enjoy the fact that those people are, are enjoying watching you and or listening to you call. And so um, once you've mastered the call, I'm going back to that again, it's to the point where you just control it. You know what notes you want to put where, and you just have this uh, sense of, of control over what you're doing instead of getting the nerves control you. So sorry to get long-winded on that one, Jay. <laughs> no, but that makes um, you know that makes perfect sense. Um, I've always wondered how you guys do it up there because you are right out there. I mean, the spotlight's on you and the, the reality, you, you make a good point that, you know, there's 1500 people there watching, but honestly, probably 80% of them don't even know if you make a call that isn't exactly right. You know, it's not right, but yeah. I mean, a bunch <laughs> of the audience has no idea, um, exactly. and not taking anything away from the audience, but you you guys have your skills so fine tuned that it's right. it's you know it's down to a just a you know a musical mili- piece almost right, yeah, right exactly you don't you don't um, want to take the wild out of it by no means but yet you still know the structure of each routine and where you want to make note placements and to add that realism so yeah uh, one question I would ask is you know it's one thing to be on your game when you're at your house and you have the ability to have all your calls right there. I've got to imagine that uh, throughout the you know couple of days uh, at the Grand Nationals, you know you've got certain calls that you don't want to blow until you get into the finals. I mean tell me about the finic- the the amount of 
how finicky those calls can be and the conditions of those calls and how do you keep them, you know, and maybe it's given away too many of your secrets, but no, you know, there's no. got to be an element of, of I don't want to blow this call until the, you know, the final day type of thing. Walk me through um, some of that. For me, it's one easy solution, my friend, and that's simply the fact that I have numerous number one calls, especially with the head-to-head run where you're, we're running three calls in the sequences, and, and I think it's eight rounds it took me each time to win. I think it's eight. And so that's 24 different sets of calls that you have to run. And uh, quite honestly, I switch them out. I have I have four or five solid yelpers, four or five key calls, yada, yada, yada. So that way I know that I have something else I can fall back on, and I rotate those calls. And then once you get to the finals, I mean, the head-to-head, which was great, was on Friday. So you run through these calls, and you may even be swapping your number one calls from, from round to round. But but you know that you have a full day with the finals being on, on Saturday. You have a full day to let those calls dry, which is also a great thing. So I just have numerous number one calls. It's that simple for me. Some people may not have that luxury. I'm not 100% sure um, on every caller. I know most guys go prepared with a couple of everything for that, especially if they're in the head-to-head. But um, but there are a few I know that have gone down the line with one Yelper that sounded just the way they wanted it to sound, and they won with it, and and um, they've got that call saturated. And once the latex gets saturated, it loses its life. You know, it just it's 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 probably hard to pick up by most, but the judges will definitely hear the sound of saturated latex. It it gets spongy. It loses that crisp crisp nasal quality that it has when it's relatively wet or or, or not relatively dry and not saturated. So. Take that into a calling situation out in the woods. Um, how much are you rotating your calls? And for the person out there listening, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. If you keep that call in your mouth for a long period of time and say the birds haven't flown down yet and it's just sitting in your mouth, what do you do when you're actually in the field like with your calls? Do you sit them on your leg and let them sit there and dry? <laughs> walk, walk me through how you go about that. <laughs> well, very similarly to having numerous yelpers and numerous cutting calls, etc., for contest calling, I actually have a, a crappy jig case that I carry into the woods with me, and it has, let me see here, three, four, three, six, eight, nine, twelve compartments, I think. It, it's the, the medium-sized crappy jig case for, for, for crappy fishing, and I literally carry, you're going to laugh, probably 50 mouth calls in the woods with me. And, um, I literally do buddy. And I, and, and I just change them out constantly. Um, and the other thing I do when I'm not one of the old things, put the call inside of your mouth in your cheek, you know, like a chew of tobacco. I never, ever do that. When I'm not running my call, it is either, as you said, sitting on my leg, unless I'm engaging a bird, obviously, or it's hanging off the end of my teeth with it exposed to the air. So it can, can somewhat dry. So I, I never run around with that call constantly getting saturated in my cheek between my my cheek and my teeth. So that makes good sense. Let's take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors and we'll get right back into it. Since 1982, the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix has made it their goal to provide the very best customer service combined with the latest and greatest optics and accessories in the business. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods and mounting accessories for any hunter's optical needs. Go to Outdoorsmans.com 
or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off all outdoorsman's packs and pack accessories. So Scott, you carry 40, 50, 60 diaphragms with you in your turkey vest, right? And, right, right. And let's say, you know, one's just, you know that eh, it's gotten too wet. You're literally just, boom, you pop another one in and you're rolling with, with the next call. Exactly. And, and every call in my case has been tested and, and, and ran and it's some of them are contest rejects. They're not quite what I wanted for the stage, but they still sound really good. And um, and as something you mentioned earlier, I think in our conversation was um, was how do I care for them things? And that's by using a toothpick in the top read. Each call is individually toothpicked, uh, separating the top read from the second read. I don't bother with the second and the third read. The top read and the second read have a toothpick that keeps those reads separated, and that way it allows them to dry and they're never stuck. So. And you use just regular wood toothpicks? Um, no, I actually go to Party City online or PartyCity.com, and um, they have a plastic cocktail toothpick. And uh, I snap the ends of them off with the points, and that's what I use. I used to use the flat wooden toothpicks, but after doing some research, there's some chemicals and whatnot they treat those toothpicks with. They say can break down that latex and hurt the latex. So since I did some research on it, I'm actually using um, – the plastic cocktail toothpicks. And you can use dental picks. If you want to spend a little more money, you can get the little dental picks with the flat um, pick on the end of it and just snip it off and use it as a re-separator as well. So. Okay. And then to ask you a question about that, reed separators. Um, okay. So your call dries. It's wet. You put the reed separators in there. Your call dries. And you know how it kind of sticks a little bit to the latex? Mm-hmm. Do you do you put the call and wet it in your mouth and get it just a little bit wet and then pull the reed separators out? Because I know I and I know other people that you know put reed separators in and and you go to pull it and man you rip your latex. What what do you do to to not rip your latex? It's it's really simple. Um, all you do, Jay, is take that call and you force the saliva between the top reed and the second reed where it's separated with the pick. Force the saliva in there. You know what I'm saying? Put it between your lips yes. and just force the saliva. Then gently take that toothpick, that separator, and then wiggle it. When it gets wet from the saliva, you can easily lift those reeds apart, and you'll never tear your latex. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you're actually putting the call in backwards where the latex is now facing, say, your throat, and you're just kind of wetting it and you know, inserting spit, so to speak, in there, yep. getting it yep. a little bit wet, and then as it kind of wiggle the – wiggle the piece until it kind of just pulls out right and you can and if it's a split v or or if it's a combo cut or a bat wing you can easily get up underneath those parts that are stuck and and once you get the saliva you can work that saliva in there and then it won't it'll it'll separate very easily and it won't it won't tear your reeds but yeah the key is forcing the saliva forcing the spit like you said horseshoe is facing you not facing out facing your lips and then you just force it with a little air pressure, a little bit of spit, a little slob in there, and then it'll work. It sounds pretty disgusting, but it works, folks. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, Scott, what would you say? I mean, there's so many cuts out there to the diaphragm calls. You've got the bat wing, the ghost cut, the cutter, the split V, and the combo. And I know my next question, you're just probably cringing. But <laughs> for just just people out there that, you know, 
want to learn how to use a diaphragm, what would be the one that you would say that most people can pick up and, and, and roll with and make pretty good sounds? And, and, and contrary to that, which one of those cuts would you say is probably the most advanced and harder for people? Um, I would probably say I'll give you I'll give this answer in twos. The two of my favorites to start somebody on, and I go totally against the grain of the old school double read no cuts. It's it's harder to make a good solid rollover style yelp with that call. Now, granted, if you learn the mechanics of the rollover style yelping with that straight double read, it becomes a little easier to attain the high low. But as far as just the average guy who's not going to practice much and wants to halfway sound like a turkey to go kill a turkey, I would say a combo cut or a split V are two of the easiest calls. They're easy to get a back end. They're easy to get rasp. Um, you can cut very hard on them and not worry too much about it pinging out or missing. Um, you can cackle on it. You can you can cluck and purr a little. It's a little raspier for most folks. It's a little harder to tune up a, a V. The combo cut will purr a little bit better. So um, harder calls to use would, to me would be a bat wing or a ghost cut only because it's a little harder to get rasp out of those calls because the, the, the ghost cut is the big centerpiece cut out of way and you only have the two wings and the bat wing, you only have that centerpiece, the point sticking out. So there's not a lot there as much there as with the other two calls to obtain the back end. So it's a little, they're great calls. They're not hard to use, but if you was to categorize it, I'd say start with a V or a combo and then, the harder calls would be a ghost cut or a bat wing. But um, again, if you use proper mechanics and if you use proper technique, none of them are hard. And, and you know, as well as I do, you have my DVDs, mouth call magic one and two, I think. And it yes, teaches them all the calls, all the ones we're speaking of, it teaches in mouth call magic too. So if you just get good mechanics and technique, none of them are that hard. Um, as long as you can get a decent rasp and you can cut and real hard and get aggressive on a call, which kills more turkeys probably than anything then you're going to be in good shape. You, you mentioned a few things that I want to ask you about. There's three types of yelping. There's front-end hen yelping, rollover hen yelping, and transition yelping. Would you give me an example of a front-end yelp, a rollover yelp, and, and then transition yelping so that people can kind of understand? In, in your Mouth Call Magic DVD, it goes through it and you describe it unbelievably but could you give me kind of the the quick the quick version of what you cover on the dvds and i encourage everyone out there if they don't own the dvds you are going into the turkey woods with a half (laughs) half loaded gun uh get scott's dvds they're unbelievable but scott would you tell us what a front end a rollover and then transition yelping is Absolutely. And, and, and the way I categorize these and came up with this is, is if you're going to hear many, many voices in the herd turkey woods in the spring, if you get the luxury of hearing a lot of hen yelping, which gosh knows we all love to hear. I love to hear hens yelp, hens yelp as much as, almost as much as I love to hear a gobble. <laughs> but, but what I did is I took these three, these three categories and, and almost every hen you hear can be broken into these. And as you've asked, Earlier, I'll break I'll break it down for you. A front end yelp is simply a yelp that has more of the high note on the front end with less back end. And uh, I can demonstrate that real quick for you on on my my Scott Ellis Woodhaven signature call. Here we go. This is a split V, but I can still I can still produce the sounds because of mechanics that are taught in the DVDs. So here we go. Here's front end yelping on a uh, split V. 
hear the higher part of it. Yep. Almost no back end, almost no rest. And that's your front end yelp. The next yelp is a rollover yelp. And the rollover yelp has the distinct high, low snapping motion into the back end rasp. And I'll demonstrate that as well. It's going to start with that high pitch, and then it's going to snap really, really drastically into the back end. You hear the rolling. Hear it, Jay? Yep. You hear that little squeal right in the center of it. That's the rollover yelp. The transition yelp is the yelp where she basically starts with a little front end, and then she transitions quickly into that back end, usually a bigger, more raspy back end. And for the wood and for the stage, that's generally the hen that I like to reproduce, and this is transition yelp. As you can hear, it lacks that snapping, and it lacks that big draggy front note, but it has a little front end and a bigger back end, and that's the transition yield. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Um, Scott, in your opinion, for, for everyday turkey callers out there, what is more important, cadence or the tone or the sound? What, what, in your opinion of killing turkeys, what's most important? 1,000% cadence, because with cadence is how in the turkey world, how a hen or a jake or a gobbler, if they're, you know, they're yelping, how they convey emotion. It's all based on more than anything on cadence. Speed, slowly, slow speed designates contentment, um, all is well. And then as you pick up in rhythm and cadence, whether you're cutting or you're cackling, or even faster kiki runs with the speed you're conveying excitement or you're angry. So the emotion level is is construed by a turkey through the speed in which they call basically. And that's why I say, you know, if you can reproduce all turkey sounds and do it with good rhythm, the tone, as we all know, is not as important because a hen ha every hen has a different voice. Um, granted, having a little more realistic tone and having the ability to mimic hens that you're here that you hear calling or to add a little realism and tone in the fact that a gobbler may recognize a voice that he hears because it has more realism which i think is another reason why we call in turkeys really quickly sometimes because he thinks he's heard that hen he knows that hen so that's where the tone does play a role but not nearly as important in the cadence and how you convey emotion in your calling with cadence interesting can you give me an example of Excitement cadence versus angry cadence. Excitement versus angry. Yes. Hmm. Well, let's see. Excitement would be a fly-down cackle to me because she's coming off the limb and she's just showing excitement. So we'll do a fly-down cackle, and then I'll, I'll go into anger on a cutting sequence, which cutting can be she's, she's also just excited, I would think, but I can show you an angry version with a little bit of fighting for her. So we'll show excitement with a fly-down cackle. Here we go.
because she flew down. She was excited. Now she's on the ground and she ran into another hen and she's aggravated. So I'm going to go into a cutting with maybe an excited yelp to show a little bit of anger. She's aggravated because the hens challenged her, or she hears another hen, or or she's mad because she's been yelling at this gobbler and the gobbler's not paying her any attention. <laughs> okay, so that that leads into my next question of you're 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 sitting down and you hear in the distance a hen yelping. Okay, mm-hmm. are you listening for what the the cadence and what the hen is actually saying? You know, most people just hear a hen yelping. Right. Are you listening for her to just be, nope, 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 nope? Or are you listening for her, what is she, are you trying to figure out what, what is saying. she, what's she saying? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so it, take it for, take it if, you know, if you, if you think she's content, what do you do? And if you think she's searching, what do you do? And if she, if you think she's like excited, what do you do? Um, well, we'd have to, we'd have to add to the scenario. Do you mean if it's a hen that's yelping and she has a gobbler with her or just Let's in Let's say general? you don't know. You think she has okay. a gobbler, but you just hear hens. What, what is your okay. thought process? Well, let's just, okay. My thought process is if I hear a hen, I'm going to presume and call to her like she could potentially have a gobbler with her. That's the, that's the only reason other than just talking to hens in the spring, because I, I do enjoy just yelping to hens and, and calling them in. We're, we're ultimately trying to smack a gobbler. So I'm going to always, when I hear a hen start up, I'm always going to just make the assumption that there could be a gobbler there. That being said, there's, there's, this is the deal for me. I think she has a gobbler, okay? And there is going to be a boss hen with that gobbler, whether it's one hen and she is the boss or whether it's one hen with five in the harem and she is the boss. And she starts yelping. I'm going to listen to her, and hopefully it's. I'm going to hear just contentment, okay? The reason why I say that is every hen has, every boss hen in a harem has a one, two different types of personality traits. One or the other, excuse me, Jay, one or the other. She is either a passive hen or she is either an aggressive dominant hen, okay? If it's the passive hen and she's just yelping, or if it's the dominant hen, whether you know or don't know, okay, I'm going to greet her with plain, content yelping. Just, hello, I'm greeting her. How are you doing? Because this is why. This is why this happens. If it's the passive hen that's very shy and coy that has that gobbler that you don't know is there, and you offend her immediately because she yelps and then you start cutting on top of her, what's going to happen, Jay, nine out of ten times if you offend that hen? She's going to go away because she doesn't want to deal with it. There you go. She doesn't want the confrontation. Now, if you just greet her with plain yelping and some light clucking, she might yelp back to you, and then you yelp back to her. And then you she may wander over just because she wants to be sociable. If that doesn't work, you may want to even throw in some kiki runs to play like you're a lost, a younger, a Jenny that's lost or that needs to be with a flock. You may, you may capitalize on her sympathy, but you're not going to offend her. Now, on the flip side of that coin is if that hen that you think has a gobbler immediately fires off and starts cutting, and she's angry, and you're hearing that excitement and anger in her voice, then I'm immediately going to get angry and excited back at her, and then I'm going to challenge her. And that's the type of hen that will generally do what if you challenge her, and she is the boss hen, and she is the aggressive, 
dominant hen that I'm speaking of, what is she going to do, Jay? Charge right into you. And bring the whole flock right over. So that's so basically with what you were saying with when I'm listing for a hen or I'm trying to engage a hen, I always start off with casual conversation, never to offend. If it gets upstepped into being rude, if she gets rude and aggressive, then I will get rude and aggressive as well, and that will also work. So that's my take on calling to the hens. <laughs> That's great stuff. I love it. Let's take a quick break here and we'll get right back into it. Have you guys heard about PhoneScope? PhoneScope is a privately held company that makes custom molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. Take digiscoping photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money back guarantee. PhoneScope is the future of digiscoping. Get yours now. Use the JScott16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at PhoneScope. That's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com or on Instagram at PhoneScope. Wilderness Athlete is committed to improving the health and quality of life for the outdoor athlete by providing field-tested, scientifically validated nutrition and sports performance products. Check them out at wildernessathlete.com and use the JScott promo code to receive 10% off any order in February 2016. Scott, I think this is the kind of stuff that a lot of people really like is to get inside your of uh, guys like yourself's head and try <laughs> and figure out, you know, your your wife would probably hear that and say, what the heck? You want to get inside my husband's head? That's just crazy. But no, she'd um, be saying, you don't want to go in there. You'll never come out. <laughs> <laughs> like I've got a friend that says it's a bad neighborhood in there. It's a bad neighborhood. <laughs> it is um, a bad, bad place. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I love doing it. You know, when you say you greet them and it's kind of like just greet them content, how's it going? And let's say right off the bat, this hen, she just gets after you. Do you mean immediately, like as soon as she stops, you just pop, 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 just right back. I mean, just cut right back on top of her. Or do you kind of give her a little bit of a aggressive and just see what she does. Yes. And if she comes right back, then you go right. I mean, like, do you right. even let her finish or do you go right on top of her? No, no, I, I will always engage the conversation as a, well, you know how argument always starts. This one, this one's pissed off and arguing. And then that one over there is arguing. And then this one gets a little louder and she gets aggravated. And then this one over here gets even more aggravated. And then it ends up happening. They end up talking on top of each other. You can really compare it to human behavior. So I like to engage her and get her wound up, and I'll let her finish her little cutting. And then if she – and now the only exception to that is if she continues just to hammer and hammer and doesn't want to shut up, then I'm going to really offend her and get on top of her quickly. But if it's just like it happens about 60 or 70% of the time for me, is she'll, she'll be listening back for you to call back to her, and that's when I step it up. And then she might step it up, and then we I step it up, and then – once she really gets after it, then I'll get on top of her, and then I'll start really, really being rude. And that's whenever you really capitalize on her, on challenging her dominance and trying to pull the whole flock over to you. So if you would, give me a run of um, you're going to make casual contact, and then for, for the sake of this display, let's say that she comes back and gives you a little casual, but she's kind of puts a little bit of, 
little more excitement in there and then let's say you know walk me through and then she just keeps getting more and more and more worked up work me through like three or four you know take a little pause between so the listeners know kind of okay now Scott's stepping it up and then let me hear all the way at the end where you're like all over her and 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 kind of do it in exactly like how long and I know that's kind of hard because every well, hen's different but can yeah. give me a kind of a demonstration of you know some guys make call for you know a minute and you're like dude you way overcooked that give me kind of uh, your time frame so I kind of oh, want to hear yeah, like yeah and again it's it's a little hard to do this I'll do the best I can with it because you don't know if she's going to cut for 5 seconds or for 25 seconds um and but we'll just we're going to play this out like she gives a little sequence and then I give a little sequence and then she gets a little louder and then I get a little louder. We'll play it that way because that's what you you encounter that a lot. Like I said, the only exception to that really is if she just just lights it up as soon as you know, you've heard it happen. You 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 didn't know she was there and all of a sudden you struck a nerve and then she just lights it up, and starts cutting the woods down. And then you've got to jump in there and get aggressive on top of her and while she's doing it with her or you're not going to get the same results. So. Um, so basically, you know, um, we're going to play the aggressive hen. She's the aggressive hen. I yelp. She immediately cuts me off and starts cutting at me. So then I'm going to cut back at her with a little sequence like this. Something like that. Now I'm not going to get crazy with it. Just, just, you know, six, eight, ten notes. And then I'm going to listen and then see what she does. And then. If she gets a little bit louder, a little bit more aggressive, she may even throw a yelp in there. I may do the same thing, and I'll throw in a few more cuts, and then I'll throw a yelp back at her. Something like so. And then when it's all said and done, and and then the the she has absolutely reached, uh, hopefully the whole time she's starting to walk your way as this is going down. You know what I mean? She's... You yeah. struck the nerve. You've challenged her. You you have came into her area, her her territory, and you're not supposed to be there because she is the boss hen. Then at that point, I'm just going to give a lot of fast cutting and yelping, and we'll give a little longer sequence, like so. Something like so. Just just. You, you just have to feel her. You got to gauge it off of what she's doing, and that. But that's kind of this the, the basics. Of what I'm going to do. That's awesome stuff. Now let's take this a step further, and let's say that you're you know you're out um, running and gunning. You're you're you know you're actually moving. You're on foot, and you're kind of just moving through. You're glassing. You're kind of moving. Uh, what kind of call? And you, you know you don't know where any gobblers are. Are you going to give me your like? I'm just walking, trying to strike a gobbler. What does that sound like? Well, I mean, quite frankly, one thing that's overlooked a lot by running at runner and gunners is the fact that you should always start with a locator call. Because, quite frankly, if you can get him to gobble and give away his location, and you have not engaged him in a conversation. You have the advantages in advantage hunter because you can use that locator, hopefully to continue making gobble, or at least you at least got him to gobble the one time, so you know he's 150 yards over that direction. Then you can move on him without having him be on high alert, thinking he's just heard a hot, sexy hen, and so now he's looking for this hen. 
and you've heightened his his sense of alertness, if you will. So when I'm running a gun and I always try to start with a locator call and it's, you know, it's, it's a six second blast with a crow call is one of my favorites to do. And, um, I can demonstrate that I've got my Woodhaven real crow right here in my hand and how I do it. And then from there, if that doesn't work, then I'm just going to go into a cutting sequence with a yelp, an excited yelp. So here's, here's what I do just starting off. And again, something to keep in mind for everybody is try to learn to growl on a crow call. When I say growl, I mean this getting that sound where you're like gurgle, gargling water. Okay, if you was to pour water in the back of your mouth and then turn your head up and go, and let that uvula flutter, you need to add that inflection to your crow calling. Because a lot of guys are just going to run around with their crow call going, now you get a really hot bird and he may gobble at that. But more times than not, if you get that growl and you add a really aggressive, aggravated sequence to that, then the, the bird will be more apt to gobble and and more apt to gobble at your crow call. So here's here's kind of what I do. Just something like that. Adds a, adds a lot more dimension, three dimensions to the, the sound of the crow, a little bit of growl, a little bit of basic calling, and it just will jerk a gobble out of one a little bit better. Now, if if that happens and nothing and the bird doesn't gobble, then you what you do is I go to a tube call or a pot call, or if I'm running a mouth call, I'll do it with a mouth call. But then I go into just a slow but yet quick building sequence and finish with of cutting and then go into a yelp. And, it, and it's it's like the bird. You, you cut a couple of notes and you grab his ear and then you get a little more excited and a little more excited. And then you throw in a five, six note yelp and then, boom, you peak his interest and you've, you've uh, created the shot gobble, essentially. So this is kind of what I do. And it's not a long sequence. It's just a, it just shows the building and it shows the cadence increase that we spoke of earlier showing emotion. So here we go. This is kind of what I do. If that don't get one to gobble, then he just don't want to gobble. <laughs> now let's let's say one let's let's say that one fires at your locator call and let's say that he's two hundred and fifty yards out to your right. So he's two hundred and fifty yards out, that's the best you can tell. Okay, so he's gobbled. What immediately goes through your head as soon as the bird gobbles? What What are you now thinking? At the locator? Yep. I'm thinking you're fixing to die. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, so I'm, let's take that a step further. If yeah. he's 500 yards out, what are you thinking? Um, two, either scenario, Jay, 250, 500, I'm closing the distance, and I will use the locator. And here's another thing that I will do as well is if – Say he gobbles two or three times at the crow, and then he starts getting reluctant to gobble at the, at the crow. As you're closing the distance and repositioning, then I carry a red tail, a Woodhaven red tail hawk screamer, and I'll and I'll try to go to a different locator, or even a duck call or an elk bugle. Um, I don't. I think you and I last year talked about the predator stuff. I'm not real big on coyote howling and trying to to imitate a predator, although they're used to that out west. I get that, but but then I'll go I'll go to a hawk scream or something like that, and then try to continue to use the um, locators as I reposition on him, so I'm not getting him on high alert thinking he's got a hint here in a hot hand. So I'll... Just an old hawk scream. Um, and then you could go to a pileated woodpecker, same thing. The call does, it works both ways. So I just continue to close the distance until I feel I'm close as I can get to him without bumping him. 
and I've got a good setup and I've got a area where I think that bird could get to me the easiest, um, the path of least resistance, if you will, um, whether it's um, hardwoods in your own, he's on the other side of the swamp. I'll get on the same side of the swamp with him, you know, on the other through the swamp and around on the same side with him. If it's big open hardwoods, you're going to be very cautious as you move tight in to him. And, and when you get where he, you think he's, and where he can see you, you need to not go any further, obviously, and then make a good setup on him and try to call him from that position. But you're just trying to locate a good setup as you're moving and repositioning. I'm looking for the optimum setup. Okay, and in looking for the optimum setup, let's say that he hammers at your locator once, and he, you know, he just hammers, and you start moving in that direction. And as you're moving, you're moving pretty briskly because you know he's out there three or four hundred yards. And it's pretty thick, so you know he's not going to see you. You're moving. You're cooking towards him. You're trying to cut the distance, and he hammers again. Okay? So okay. now you've located him. You know, you haven't had to make another sound, but he's hammered again. And now are you thinking, okay, you sucker, I'm going to pinpoint you. And do you just keep moving then? Uh, if they're gobbling on their own, you then don't make any calls, correct? No, not at all. Yeah. If he's just if he just decides he's all hot to trot and he wants to talk for me without me doing anything, I mean that is the ultimate turkey hunter's dream is to get one struck and it happens from time to time. I think it's a lot less frequent than than having to provoke a gobble, but um, when he does that, I just keep on coursing him and figuring out what if he's moving. I'm trying to figure out if he's moving, is he stationary, if he's gobbling on his own, and I'm doing the same thing even as I'm using my locator calls because. Um, if he is gobbling at the locator calls, I can course his direction to see if he's going away from me, if he's paralleling me, if he just happens to be coming towards me because that's the direction he was wandering. So um, always coursing movement as well whenever I'm trying to move in tight for that setup. Okay, and taking that also a step further, um, as you're moving in, you know when you get to that point where you're like, dang, I think I've closed half the distance. I wonder where he is. I'm not sure. And you say, well, I'll hit him again with the locator. And, you know, you hit him and nothing. Mm. At, that At that point, point, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, and quite honestly, I've killed a ton of turkeys where you've got them to gobble once with the locator and they never gobbled again at the locator. Um, you move as close as you can, again, cautiously as you can. Um, hit the locator, change the locators up. And when that uh, does not work anymore and you cannot exact his location, that's when you just have to make a decision on where to sit your butt down and then start hand calling to him. It's just that simple. I mean, you obviously don't want to keep wandering in that direction without him knowing his exact position or the region of his or in the realm of his of his position because you're going to bump him. So that's, you know, then you you've you've, uh, you've shot your shot your load, if you will. You've, you you wasted all your shells and your gun, you know. You don't want to, yeah. the game is over is what I'm trying to say if you bumped him because you, you just wouldn't quit trying to move close to him. So at that point, I'm just going to go ahead, try him with hen calls and, and see if he will gobble at the hen calls. And once I switch to hen calls, if he continues to gobble, we'll gauge his distance and then we'll figure out where we need to set up. And you have to be very careful at that point as well because he could start coming to you as you're using hen calls. So that's one of the things. And something I want to go back on, Jay, when we were talking about how do I strike. <clears throat> if he, The one thing to keep in mind once you're using locator calls, we're going backwards here, you're using your locator calls to locate. It didn't work. So you have to switch to turkey calls because a lot of times they just don't gobble at a crow or anything else. You know, When you do that, before you make a hen sound, take a second or two or three or a minute 
and look around you and assess the situation and assess the surroundings where you could sit down because how many times have you done that and used your went your hand calls and you gobble got a bird to gobble and he was seventy five yards away. And yeah. you looked around, you look right, you, you look nothing. left, you got yeah. no trees, you take off running the opposite direction, <laughs> trying to get yeah. away from the bird. I've done it way too many times and I, I I've gotten a lot better at it over the years practicing what I preach, so to speak, what we're talking about. So I will look around and go, okay, if, if a bird gobbles right, you always just have to believe he could gobble at any moment. Anytime you call, that bird could gobble. It's great. It keeps your confidence up. It keeps you positive, and it keeps you aware. It keeps your awareness up to know that you could have to sit down and, and to pick a good spot to sit down at. So sorry, I just wanted to back up on that. that no, strike. I mean, I think that's a great point because I think so many times, you know, you're out in the wide open and you, you're just like, oh, I'll just try a call and boom, he hammers. And it's like, you're dead. You, you got nowhere to go. And I think that's great advice to make sure whenever you make a hen call, you better be able to be, you know, in, in cover or, or picking a spot to set up um, because it, yep. pretend that they're going to answer every time you go to call. That's right. That's the best rule of thumb. I mean, it gets redundant after a while especially when you walk miles and miles and miles and the birds aren't gobbling. But just when you let your guard down, what happens? <laughs> One <They gobble>. <laughs> yeah. I, you did a fly down cackle before and out here in the West, I, I just, I'm not saying that it's not a deadly tool, but like if you have bird roosted, do you actually do a fly down cackle and try and be the first hen on the ground or, or walk me through why you would use a fly down cackle um just you just hit the nail on the head um you're trying to add a bit of realism um the turkey hears the sound he knows what it means um quite honestly i've often often questioned the fact that you know how well a gobbler hears and when you do a fly down cackle from the ground, even if you use a wing, which I was going to go into here in a minute, I always carry a turkey wing in my vest to emulate the wing beats with the actual vocalization. But you can't tell me that a gobbler sitting up in that tree does not know that that sound just came from a lower position, not up in a daggone tree. So that being said, it still, I think, adds a certain level of realism and a certain level of excitement to the fact that regardless of why he's trying to figure out you're doing this on the ground, there is an excited hen on the ground and she just cackled. She just, she may have, maybe she pitched across the ditch. You know, he doesn't know exactly why other than I know he can tell that sound as again is coming from a lower position, but it just adds another level of realism at the morning as they wake up, they hear it every most mornings when, you know, not every hen cackles when she flies down. I've heard co cobblers even cackle flying down for that matter, but, but it's something that they do frequently enough that they associate it with the morning starting and with excitement. And I think it just conveys into um, starting a good conversation with a gobbler with that heightened state of emotion, that cadence that we talked about, again, with a cackle. Um, and it, it, I'm not saying it's a deal sealer, but I will tell you this. I have tree called to gobblers before, a couple of tree calls, and shut up like I always do and let the game get going a little bit more, let the game unfold a little bit more, the daylight starts cracking, I do a fly down cackle with my wing and the bird flies down on top of you. I mean I'm not it's not happened like a thousand times, but it's happened enough to know that there's no reason not to do it, my friend. <laughs> yeah, and would you say for maybe people that are not hunting birds that are extremely wary, like if you came out west, Merriams or Goulds, 
And, you know, you've got birds that are, you know, they're not called to that much compared to what your Easterns or your Osceolas are. Mm-hmm. And w- would you say if, 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 if you and I were out here chasing Merriams or let's say we're in Mexico ghouls where you know you've got, you know, virgin birds mm-hmm. uh, that just don't hear anything, do you feel like if you roosted a bird the night before, you could move in pretty tight to him, he could gobble his brains off in the tree, you could just tree call to him a couple times, He'd just go crazy, crazy, crazy. You do your fly down cackle. In your mind, most of the time, is that bird going to be on top of you if you were able to do a good fly down cackle? Oh, gosh, man. That's, I would love to say, yes, every single time that happens, you're going to kill a turkey. (laughs) But, I mean, I'd be lying if I said anything more than I just said. It's something that adds realism that cannot hurt a situation or or hurt a scenario. To, to to convey excitement and to convey that a hen has flown down, regardless of whether he can figure out what, what elevation you were when you flew down. Maybe you were roosted five foot off the ground. He didn't know that. So there you go. there's your explanation for me talking yeah. about how the gobbler can deduce whether she was high or low or, or whether she was flying down. Um, but, yeah, I, I did nothing, you know, Jay, you've been turkey hunting a long time. There's nothing, even with, with birds that are less pressured, there's, there's still turkeys, and I would be – an idiot to say that you did that that's going to make a big difference every time you do it i just know that it does some of the time and that's what matters that's good stuff right there um let's take another quick break here and we'll have a few more questions and we'll wrap it up utah hydrographics is in the water transfer printing service and they are open to whatever you can dream up choose from a wide range of camel patterns designs and colors whether it's guns bows tools rifle stocks vehicles steering wheels, fenders, dashboards, paint guns, fishing rods, cups, tripods, watches, knife grips, helmets for a local sports team or for your motorcycle, picture frames, mailbox, animal skulls, you name it, they can probably do it. Utah Hydrographics loves taking things that are general looking and turns them into something that looks fantastic and eye-popping. Give them a call and see what they can do for you and receive up to a 10% discount by using the J. Scott 6 promo code. Visit them at utahhydrographics.com or on Instagram at utahhydrographics. Whether you are interested in elk, deer, antelope, bighorn sheep, or moose, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines will bring the adventure to your mailbox. These publications feature articles on the finest hunting gear, tips and tactics from experienced hunters, field judging trophies, glassing techniques, calling strategies, and much more. To become a more knowledgeable and skilled hunter, subscribe today. Go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott and enter your email address for a chance to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product. Scott, you had said um, something before we went live uh, about you had your calls in the fridge. What's mm-hmm. that all about? Um... Just basic care of latex. Um, cool, dark place. Doesn't the latex will it will extend the life of latex. It won't dry rot. Um, heat is the enemy for latex. So for anybody out there, I just cringe when my buddies say, "Yeah, yeah, I've got three or four of my calls you gave me in, in my truck in my ashtray." <laughs> and I just I just cringe because there's nothing that will bake. I mean, you got to figure a car gets what 140 degrees inside a car even on a decent day that's not smoking hot it's still and then on a hot day that's 100 degrees it can get 160 degrees so 
it's not going to oven in there. And that is the worst thing you can do with a, with a mouth call. So, so, you know, you put the toothpicks in them like we talked about, and then you put them in the, in a refrigerator. I, I keep mine in the cases in my little crappy case or in my, um, my, I have a smaller case for the stage calls. This very, it's actually a little jig, crappy jig box as well, just less compartments. And, uh, it keeps them cool and it keeps them, um, there, there's a degree of humidity in the air in the refrigerator. And, uh, but it obviously is not saturating the reeds and it just keeps the late, life of the latex longer, make, extends the life of the latex. Scott, what kills more turkeys, friction or mouth calls? I guess that depends on what call you use most, most of, <laughs> which one you use in the woods the most. Um, I do striking with friction call a fair bit. I do a ton of striking with a tube call, and every now and again a mouth call. But very, very seldom do I strike. Do I run and gun with a tube, or I mean with a mouth call? Because I just I run them so much as it is. It's 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 a treat to just run a different kind of call. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. So, yeah. but as far as comparing the two, um, that's a there's no way of giving a correct answer on that. It just depends on the guy and what he uses more of. I, when I sit down to a turkey after I've struck him. I've been hunting, this is my 32nd season, I think, and I have never in 32 years, well, soon to be 32 years, maybe I'll change it this season, have never yelped up a turkey to the gun barrel with a box call or a pot and peg. Never done it. Now, I've set up and blind called and got him going with my pot and peg, but when, when that bird starts making his way to me, I want to be able to use all of my senses and all of my hand and eye coordination to be on my gun. And I use my eyes to track him any way I can and, and not be looking down at a call and trying to look at a striker. I want to be focused on him, and I want my hands on my shotgun and not worry about moving my hands or making any movement other than swinging the gun barrel to follow the turkey to make the shot. So, that's but uh, like I said, Jay, I, don't, I can't answer that, buddy. I mean, there's not a good <laughs> answer. It is, it's, I guess if you was to look at the lynch box call, they came out, what, 60, 80 years ago, back in the 30s, 40s, something like that. I mean, that's killed a pile of turkeys. And then the advent of the mouth call, which they say 50, 60. So it's hard to say, buddy. For me, it's mouth calls. I strike with the friction in the tube, and then I run the, uh, I burn them down to the barrel with the uh, mouth calls. <laughs> right on. Um, what do you think the biggest mistake uh, hunters make, turkey hunters make out there in the woods? The biggest mistake, um, one, probably giving up too quickly on a turkey is a huge mistake. Um, just not giving him time, not being patient enough to wait him out, um, especially if you've got a bird you're just working and he's not cooperating, and um, just wait him out. Shut up, you're calling, and wait him out. And uh, a lot of people will debate this, um, and I just don't think they've hunted very many public land Osceola's. But overcalling, I don't care what anybody says, overcalling a turkey can be detrimental to the setup. Play cat and mouse. It's not rocket science. Get his attention and keep his attention, but don't call just to call and make him gobble. Have a conversation with him. Have him seeking you. Play cat and mouse. That's what kills turkeys. I don't care what anybody says. People will debate it. Oh, you can't ever call a turkey. You can call all you want to. They haven't hunted very many Osceolas in my home state of Florida and very many hard-hunted Easterns in the places where they get a lot more pressure. That's that's just my opinion, buddy. No, I mean, I, I think you're exactly right, um, for sure. For sure. What's your 2016 plans look like? Uh, sounds like you're going to start out with Jake here this weekend, but run me through kind of what you got going on. 
Yeah, this weekend, the 27th, is the South is on February 27th now. I don't know when we're going to run our ca- our podcast here, but February 27th um, is the South Zone Youth Hunt. And uh, my little my little man, Jake Ellis, is coming. We're taking him to some – we're going to do some grove hunting down in Arcadia, Florida. Um, buddy of mine's got some places lined up for us and a lot of Orange Grove with woods surrounding the Orange Grove. And, uh, you know, turkeys in Florida love Orange Groves. They bug in them. They eat seeds off the oranges that are rotted on the ground. There's lots of gra- fresh grasses growing. They love the orange grove, so we're gonna we're gonna give them heck in the orange groves of Florida this weekend. And um, the are next are they hammering? Are they hammering, Scott? Already? Uh, they're gobbling. They're still bachelored up to some degree. They're starting to interact with hens. So there, it's definitely could be a whole nother podcast to talk about early season before they break up. But there's a very good possibility I'll be gobbling and fighting purring at these birds this weekend to challenge dominance to to uh, draw attention to us basically. Um, or we may yelp and cut and they may run us over because they, you know, they're, they're feeling a little frisky, but see, it's cooling down here this week. We're going to have, um, low forties and upper thirties this weekend. So, um, here in central Florida. So it's, or, well, kind of South Florida, I guess you would say with the South zone, but, but cool enough to definitely, um, being, being not into the spring yet and having a little bit of a winter that we've had here in Florida. And it's been somewhat cool for the, for the, month of January and most of February, we've had a lot of cooler temps. Um, it's been nice. And I think that has definitely hindered the, uh, the normal chain of events, which, uh, by now they're busted up and they're ready to do it. Um, a first part of March. So, um, but yes, they are gobbling a bit, like I said, and they're uh, bachelored up to some degree, but they are starting to show interest in hens. But, but anyways, the next weekend is the actual South zone opener. And I've got something lined up again down in the, the same neck of the woods act actually Arcadia, Florida. And then uh, the weekend after that would be the 13th, and that's the normal central and north zone youth hunt. And Jake and I are going to own a Florida for that, for his second youth hunt. And then the weekend after that, well, I got my buddy from the NWTF, the uh, special projects event coordinator, Chris Pilts, is coming down with me um, to Sebring, Florida, and a buddy of mine, Shane Martinez's place. And Chris has killed a Goulds, a Miriams, a Rio, and an Eastern. So one Osceola completes his Grand Slam and his Royal Slam. So that's really exciting. The uh, the uh, anticipation is very very high for that. We hope we hunted together last year before we killed the Goulds, and that would have gotten his Grand Slam, but we um, we couldn't get it done last year. So so he's coming down for the opener here, which is like the twenty third. <clears throat> the following weekend, I'm actually going to South Carolina. The weekend after that, I'm taking Jake to Georgia. The weekend after that, I'm going to Tennessee. Now we're into April now. Um, weekend after that, I'm coming back to Ona, Florida to hunt. Osceola's second to the last weekend. I think it's like the 16th. Weekend after that, it's our last weekend. I'm not sure. I've got a couple things going for um, a young a young fellow that's never turkey hunted before. He's about 13 years old and uh, dying to go on his first turkey hunt with me. And, and so we're going to try to make that happen. And then I'm going to Virginia early May, first weekend of May, going to Virginia. And then... Mid-May, I'm not 100% sure what I got going on. Could be a Texas thing. Could be something along the lines of a buddy of mine named Jay Scott and Goulds. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> going into mid-May, it's kind of it kind of opens up a little bit. Um, my wife's birthday is uh, the 24th of May, so that weekend is always out. And then, um, but then you got you know you have seasons that stretch on into the latter part of May as well. So there's no telling what's liable to happen those last couple weeks and on into the first week of June. So. 
Awesome. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot of great plans out in front of you. And, um, I do. I'm excited. That's awesome. I want to thank you for being on, as always, a friend of the podcast. And uh, again, congratulations on a three-time uh, Grand National Champion and, and certainly the back-to-back uh, head-to-head. That's about as good of a uh, <laughs> great of an accomplishment as you could possibly do in my mind. And oh, I appreciate um, it, Jay. Thank you very much. Thanks for all your great stuff. And man, the DVDs are outstanding. Um, I'm sure you got people asking you for when the next DVD is coming out. Um, the, the, the Mouth Call Magic 1 and 2. Scott, tell us, uh, the listeners, where they can find you uh, and, and where they can track down those DVDs. Absolutely, Jay. Um, ScottEllisHunting.com is where the, both DVDs are available. As well, Midwest Turkey Supply has them. Um, and uh, I've got a YouTube channel that has a lot of tips and tactics as well. Some a few turkey hunts on there. Um, and just search my name, Scott Ellis, on YouTube. And I uh, got a Facebook page. Head over, give me a like if you if you get a chance. Um, it's Scott C. Ellis, and it's a, a recreation sports website page, and it just talks about following around the the trials and tribulations of of hunting and and hunters and tips and tactics and sharing pictures and hunts along the way and just good old social media stuff, you know. Right on, buddy. Sounds good. Well, thanks so much for being on and. Um you know, hammer down and, and, uh, hope Jake <laughs> has a good hunt and, and, uh, can't wait to see some of the pictures and, and what have you. So knock them dead. All right. All right, buddy. I really appreciate you having me. It's always a blast. It's always fun talking Turkey with my, my Turkey hunting buddies, man. So thanks a lot for having me. Right on buddy. God bless. I'll catch you later.